Corey Russell is... Uh, he, he's been at, at IHOP. He's in IHOP, Kansas City. Uh, he's on the senior leadership team there. And uh, he is uh, just a, uh, an awesome man, a man of God who just loves God, has the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and just has a lot of fire. And you'll hear him say fire, but he, he brings the fire. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he also has a forerunner program there uh, that he leads, uh, and it's with the IHOP University, uh, where he trains leaders and pastors and preachers uh, to go. And, uh, and he also speaks around the world. So uh, without further ado, I will bring Corey up, Corey Russell. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Doing good. Well, we, where's the men at that were with us this weekend? We had a blast. Amen. <laughs> Got a happy wife clapping here. <laughs> He's come back on fire. Well, he, that dude's already on fire. But uh, <laughs> see, that's what we want to do. We want to light your husbands on fire and send them back home to serve you and do dishes and love on the kids. And Come on, happy wives. Happy lives. Hopefully, they're coming home and serving you, and if not, then we got to get more fire on them. We'll get them up here again. Um, <laughs> we had a blast, and uh, again, my name's Corey uh, Russell, and I come from the International House of Prayer. Not pancakes, but uh, prayer. And uh, 15 years of day and night worship and intercession has been ascending before the throne of God in South Kansas City. And, and we believe that God's going to fill the whole earth with day and night worship and prayer before Jesus returns. And he's actually going to do this all over the earth. I just got back from uh, Switzerland, 2 a.m. on Tuesday morning. And we said in a, uh, actually last Saturday, we were to about 80 leaders, house of prayer leaders, praying churches all over Europe that are beginning to see prayer move from the back room and move to the front room. And, uh, and uh, I was just so encouraged by what God's doing in Europe, what God's doing uh, in Asia, what God's doing all over the earth, and what God's doing in America. And, uh, and I just want to declare to you that Jesus Christ is beautiful. And Jesus Christ is worthy of our affection. As he is worthy of day and night worship and intercession. He forever lives to make intercession. And he has brought us up into his glorious ministry with him. He's an intercessor and we are intercessors. And he's brought us up together with them. And I declare it, Jesus is more beautiful than the Rockies. Jesus is more beautiful than anything. And he is worthy. We got 24-7 Walmarts, 24-7 gas stations, 24-7 pharmacies. But where's the place where we can find 24-7 worship and intercession? Where a young man can come at three in the morning and get delivered from his, uh, his drunken stupor. Anyway. Turn with me to Romans 8 if you have your Bibles. Uh, I do want to encourage you guys. I've written several books, one on the knowledge of God, knowing God and growing in the revelation of Him. And I wrote, it's called Pursuit of the Holy. And I want to give that away this morning. Who'd like to have that? Anybody? <laughs> if you don't want it, I'm going to put it up. Okay, ma'am, you get it, ma'am, right here. Yes, yes. Catch. Good, good catch. And then I wrote a book called Ancient Paths, Rediscovering Delight in the Word of God. All right, this is going to take humility. Who needs a breakthrough in the Bible? <laughs> All right, get it. There you go. It's beautiful. It takes humility to say, God, I need a breakthrough in the Bible. All right, well, um, 
I, I have a, a wife. She's 16. I've been married 16. She's not 16 years old. <laughs> this is the third service. This is the sixth time I preach this weekend. I am from Arkansas, but don't be judging me on all that. <laughs> we do things a little different in the South. I'm playing. <laughs> No, been married 16 years. <laughs> Got a 15-year-old daughter, a 12-year-old daughter, and a four-year-old daughter. So I'm just surrounded by women on every side. God's got me the ultimate training ground. All these ladies learning how to serve these beautiful women of God. And uh, just surrounded with them. And, uh, and I'm just such, it's just such an honor to be with you guys. I, uh, last time I was with you, I was actually looking on the calendar it was October 28th, 2012. So it's been about two and a half years since I was with you last. And I've come through here several times. We've done one thing conferences here. And then I've done several men's retreats, done a conference with Jay Thomas, one of our main worship leaders in Kansas City. Many of you remember that. Oh, he loves me some Jay Thomas. And, uh, and uh, at that time, we actually, we actually had our son, Nash. He was about five months old. He was born June 26, 2012. And last time I was with you guys, he was with us, but on March 16th, 2013, he, uh, uh, I was in London, England ministering, and uh, my wife went to go see family. The, the season was changing. It was moving from cold to warm. She went home to Arkansas to see family, and on that Saturday, she put him down for a nap, and he didn't wake up from his nap, and uh, nine months old, and... Uh, we were able to talk right before she went to wake him up from his nap. I was in London about to go to my ministry, go about to go into the set session. We're talking on the phone. It's all good. She goes, I'm going to wake him up. I say, okay, I'm going to go do the, do the night session. And then little did I know that three hour window where she wasn't able to get a hold of me. I step off the stage of my ministry time into the nightmare of phone calls. And, uh, and I remember what happened. I'd got a call from a pastor in London who said, you need to call your wife right now. She needs to talk. Something bad's happened. I call my wife. She tells me the news. My heart sinks. I just fall to the ground. One, because you feel helpless. You're thousands of miles away from your family. You can't be there with them. But I remember what came out of me in that very moment. And I know this is just kind of jumping into the deep end, but we don't have a long time this morning. Um, I remember what came out of me that very moment when I got the news and we talked and she's screaming and it's just chaos and we end up hanging up for a second and I just remember something comes out of me and I'm like, Father, speaking to God, you know what this feels like to lose a son. You know what this feels like to lose a son. And I remember looking up to God as Father saying, I need you as a father right now. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to touch me. And over the last two years, we just commemorated the two-year anniversary of the loss of our son, Nash, on March 16th. He passed on 316. And the last two years have been the most difficult. They've been the most intense. They've been hard on 20 levels, been so difficult. Had a 13-year-old daughter. Trinity was 13 at the time who found, found her brother. A, a teenage daughter that's had to walk through some of the most intense stuff that kids ought never have to walk through. My daughters, and, and just walking through this whole season has been so intense, but I just stand before you today as a testimony and a witness of the grace of God, that God's power and his grace to carry us through the darkest of storms, 
the darkest of nights, the most traumatic events, events where they, the statistics tell you that, you know, 70% get divorced. 90% of the kids run off in rebellion. Things happen on 10 levels of what the statistics say. But I want to say in the middle of all this, we're not through it. We're still walking through and there will be an element of the limp until we see Jesus and see our little buddy. But I'm here to tell you right now that God is faithful and he's good and we've clung to him and he is carrying us through. My 15-year-old daughter is heading on a missions trip here in a month. She called me this morning. She raised the support so quickly and it blows me away that she's got her heart turned towards Jesus. Her heart's tender towards Jesus and she loves him more today than she did two years ago when she found her baby brother dead. And how, how does it make sense in the natural for, for us to encounter situations like that or whatever it may be for you, whether it be the loss of a child, a loss of a loved one, or just the suffering of this life and the things we go through, how can God take such hellacious events and turn them around into us becoming more tender and loving God more and loving those ones around us more. And I just want to stand before you that we'll get to later, but God, it says all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And I just want to say, even as I say what I just said to you, there'll be, there's several things that I've held on to. I believe that this is a very special week. Today is what we commemorate as Palm Sunday. It's the day where Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they put him on the donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9. And he rode into Jerusalem and they're all waving the palm branches, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. You are the promised Messiah who would sit on David's throne and deliver Israel from all her enemies. And they declared it to him and he came in at the beginning of that holy week which began and ultimately culminated with that same man, the very ones that they were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Five days later, they're crying out, crucify him. And that it's in this very week, I would say this is what we call Holy Week. And this is the very foundation of our faith is these next seven days. And the very reason you're in this room is because God came to the earth and he took on our form. And he lived the life you and I could never live. And he climbed up on that cross and he died our death, receiving the punishment for our sins. And I, what I love about the Easter story is how God can take nightmares and turn them into resurrected glory. How God can take trauma and turn it into glory. How he can take the darkest of nights and turn it around for good. That's what we see in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Death under resurrection. And, as, and I would encourage you, I texted my wife this morning, I would invite all of you to begin to take 10 to 15 minutes a night with your family this week and read a portion of scripture from that holy week and begin to ask for greater revelation of what Jesus has done for us and the power of his resurrection and the glory and the hope of our own resurrection. Because there's been one thing in the middle of this hard season. I feel like I've, I've aged 20 years in the last two years in my soul. I have lived on my knees. I have filled gallons of, of barrels with tears. But I want to say there is one thing, and it all comes down to this week. There is one anchor for my soul 
as we move into Easter weekend. And, and what means so much to me is that I know because that man came out of that grave, I know that I'm coming out of the grave. And I know that I am going to live forever with him. And I know this. I know that my relationship with my son is not over. We don't get as many claps like that because most of us truly aren't rooted and our hope isn't fully founded in the hope of the resurrection. Beloved, do you understand the implications of what that means that that man came out of the grave? Do you understand how easy it would have been for Pilate to tell his guards to go get Jesus' body and to say, let's just shut up all these people that are saying he's raised from the dead and let's take his body and run it through the streets so that everybody would shut up about this resurrected Messiah. But there's one problem with that. They couldn't find the body <laughs> because he was alive. <laughs> Beloved, I would in invite you to begin to read some of the different stories of Jesus after his resurrection. How he shows up on the road to Emmaus. There's these two guys and they're sad and they're walking to a village outside of Jerusalem. And they're sad because they thought Jesus as Messiah was going to just conquer Rome and establish Israel and do everything. And that's what he's going to do very soon. But they didn't get it in their mind that the Messiah was going to come first and lay down his life and then raise from the dead and then come again to establish that reality. So they're all sad. And Jesus shows up to them like Clark Kent and starts walking with them. You know, what you see with the resurrected body, the resurrected Lord, is he puts on Clark Kent outfits. One time he's looking normal. Next moment he's walking through walls. The next moment he's over here, he just, just tra transports and does a whole bunch of cool things. And he, it's so funny. I just love this story. He's walking with them and the guy, and, and Jesus asking, why are you guys so sad? And it says, that, and the guy's name was Cleopas. Imagine that's one reason he's sad right there. <laughs> you know, I got mother issues. My, I didn't have no vote. My mom named me Cleopas. <laughs> we got any Cleopas in here? Forgive me, okay? I'm just playing. <laughs> there was a Cleopas in one service I did. I'm, just, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> Break that trauma off of you. But um, it says Cleopas. He was bold. He says, are you the only stranger in Israel? He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet mighty indeed, we thought he was going to come save us, but he's dead. And we've been hearing rumors about his resurrection, but we don't know anything about it. And Jesus goes, in essence, you guys are a bunch of idiots. He says, are you so foolish and slow hearted to believe in all that the prophets have said? And then Jesus takes them on a Bible study beginning in Genesis and walks them all the way through Malachi doing a Bible study, showing them how Jesus must come. The Messiah must come and die. He must suffer, die, and then be raised again. Well, they come to a fork in the road. Jesus goes, I'll see you guys later. And they go, we don't think so. <laughs> the Bible says they constrained him, which means, and they dragged him in the house. <laughs> and he sits down at their table. He takes the bread. And as soon as he broke it, their eyes were opened. And then he vanished. He vanished. How many of you people have seen anybody vanish in front of you? Has anybody seen anybody vanish right in front of you? When he vanishes, they don't look at each other and go, hey, did you see the guy vanish? That's what I would do. 
They look at each other. They go back to what they felt on the road. And they look at each other and they go, did not our hearts burn within us while he unfolded the scriptures to us? Which means this, more powerful than a vanishing man was a burning heart when he's leading the Bible study. I don't even know why I'm telling this story. I just like to talk about Jesus after the resurrection. They're all afraid in the house, afraid that the Romans are going to come beat them up. Jesus slips right through the locked doors and he comes through the wall. And he goes, peace, I'm here. Thomas, quit, stop. He goes, believe in me. I don't believe. Here, touch my hands. Put your hand in my side. Give me something to eat. He goes, you still don't believe me. Give me something to eat. And he eats honey and fish and bread just to break it off of them. No, I'm alive. I'm not no spirit. I'm in a resurrected body. Hallelujah. And the, when he eats the food, it doesn't fall out his side. It stays in there. Guys, do you understand? Then Jesus does a 40-day conference with over 500 do you understand? They, they say up to 500 and Jesus taught for 40 days on the kingdom of God. Who'd like to be at that conference? Three of you. You want to be out there. When the resurrected Lord is teaching on the kingdom, you want to be there. And then after spending 40 days and 40 nights, a cloud comes and picks him up and takes him up there. And what did the angels say while the disciples were looking up? They go, why are you looking up? Well, never seen a guy get picked up by a cloud <laughs> taken up there. They go, in the same way he went up, so he's coming down again. In the same way, a man went up in a cloud, so he's coming down in clouds. Guys, I want to tell you something right now. We are moving in to the very foundation, the very hinge, the very fabric, the very DNA of our Christian faith. Because if that man did not come out of that grave then you'll catch me at the bar and you'll catch me at the club. But here's the de declaration. The man came out of the grave. He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of the grave. He broke the power of the dominion of Satan. He broke the power. He went into de the devil's throne and says, you can't touch this. It is not possible that I would be held by death. And in breaking your power, I am ransoming men for God and I'm leading captivity captive and I'm taking my seat at the Father's right hand and I'm raising them up together with me in the heavenly places. He has broken the dominion of Satan. He has broken the dominion of sickness, broken the dominion of darkness. He is Christ the victor, Christ the Lord, Christ the victor, Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. He liberates us from the tyranny of fear, the tyranny of darkness, the tyranny of oppression, the tyranny of sickness. He de delivers us. And that's why when I tell you horrific stories like I'm walking through, there is an anchor to my soul. There is a hope that gets above the clouds of anything this world will bring. There is no experience in this life which trumps the power that the man came out of the grave. 
the man came out of the grave, which gives me great faith that he came out and gives me great hope. This is not the end of my story. But death is not the end of my story. The grave is not the end of my story. And just as he came out, so I'm coming out. I'm coming out of that grave. And if I die before Jesus returns, guys, I want you to know something. If we die before he returns, that is not the end of your story. You haven't even been born yet. I don't think we realize this. Most of the Christian faith we receive in America has your best life now. I'm here to tell you your best life is not now. I'm here to tell you right now, there is a life, eternal life that is waiting for you. And it's time you get to get connected to your 10,000 year plan, your 5,000 year plan and get delivered from a 60 year plan. Cause I'm not living for a 60 year plan. I am living for a 6,000 year plan. See that sounds like an idiot to many of you. And that's because it sounds so foreign to most ears in the modern church. We've lost the hope of the resurrection. That's what, it's the hope of the resurrection that separates the church from every other good social club out there. From every other religion out there, we're the only religion where God comes to us, takes our form, and lives as a man forever, lives our life, dies our death, goes into the grave, breaks the power of sin, and then ascends to the right hand of the Father, breaking the power of death. Muhammad did not do that. Buddha did not do that. Hare Krishna did not do that. No Hindu religion did that. He is the God-man, the one who bore the wrath of God for your sins, paid the punishment for our sins, breaking the power of the devil. I'm so grateful for him. And I got great hope and great faith in my life that I, my relationship with my son is not over and that I, I don't even know what it's going to be like when I cross over whether I die or Jesus returns, what it's going to be like that first encounter with my son, Nash. What's it going to be? I don't even know how old he's going to be, whether he's going to be nine months, whether he's going to be 15 years, or whether he's going to be 33 years. I don't know how old, but I know it's going to take a resurrected body and I'm going to blow up into a thousand pieces of emotions. Psalm 17, David says, other men have their portion in this life. But as for me, I will be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. What is your dream? What's your desire? What's your plan? My plan is to rule and reign with the son of God on this earth for billions and billions of years. That's what I'm living for. That's how I'm investing my money my time, my energy, my resources, my relationships is in view of a 6,006 million year vision of ruling and reigning with the Son of God on this planet. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19? He says, if our hope is only in this life, we are the most pitiable among all of men. He says, if your hope is only in this life, you need to be embarrassed. You need to be embarrassed. One day I took my kids to the graveyard for family day. <laughs> I'm a little weird. I really believe this stuff. Do you believe it? Do you know, first, I'm not going to go into this, but 1 Corinthians 15, 
Paul talks about the gospel that he received from the Lord? Do you know he spends like four verses talking about Jesus dying on the cross, raising from the dead, showing up to the apostles? He spends around 20 verses talking about the differing glories of our resurrected bodies. Which means this, he spends more time talking about the glory of the resurrection than even what we would entail as the gospel. And I took my kids to the graveyard one day and I said, kids, what's going to happen to all the people who believe in Jesus in here? What's going to happen at the sound of the last trumpet? It says in 1 Corinthians 15, at the sound of the last trumpet, the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive will meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with him forever. I go, kids, what will happen? Well, daddy, (laughs) graves will open and bodies will shoot out of the grave. (laughs) I go, you're right, honey. What will happen once their bodies shoot out of the grave? They will meet their spirits in the air. And they will put on resurrected bodies. And they will come back and rule and reign with Jesus forever. They don't sound like that, but. (laughs) Does that sound crazy to you? About as crazy as a virgin having the Holy Spirit brood over her womb and her conceiving of God. It's about that crazy. (laughs) Our Christian faith, our Christian beliefs don't make sense to the natural mind. And guys, I want to tell you something right now. My relationship with my son is not over, and I believe in the hope of the resurrection. And it's time for the rock to get delivered from your hope in this life. What are you living for? Because I'm here to tell you right now, when you don't have a hope of the resurrection, you begin to get gripped with the bondage of fear. And when you get gripped with fear, that's when you start hoarding. That's when you start protecting. That's when you start building barricades around your life to protect you from death. I've got a newsflash for everybody in here. You're all going to die. I don't receive that. Receive it. (laughs) Receive it. We're all going to die and be raised again. The dead, the grave is not the end of your story. Death, oh death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Jesus has conquered the grave. He has broken the power of darkness. He has broken the power of death. And that I no longer have to fear. We're going to go back into singing that song. I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. You know what fear does? It leads to bondage. It leads to addiction. It leads to other cycles that make you live because we have no hope outside of this life. Beloved, I'm here to tell you it's not the end of your story. I want to look with, can we look in Romans 8? Can we look in Romans 8? I got one yes. You can talk to me. I come from churches where people stand up and throw things at you because they love what you're saying. That's okay with me. That makes me feel loved. Throw a Bible at me. I love it. (laughs) It's a process. But let's look at it. Romans 8 verse 15. 
You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Who in here has given your life to Jesus? Well, I want you to know the moment you were born again, you received the spirit of adoption. And the spirit of God within you cries out, Abba, I belong to you. I belong to God. I'm a child of God. I want you to know that we are children of God. But do you know what 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says? Now, he says, beloved, now we are children of God. Then he says this, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we will be like him. You didn't hear the verse I just said. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when we see him, we will be like him. You know what that means? God has placed and that the spirit of God within you knows within you, you are a child of God. But God has placed a dirty bomb on the inside of you. He has placed something within you that will not be openly manifest until Jesus returns. And when he returns, the glorious pinata will bust on the inside of you. And what is on the inside of you will be openly manifest as you receive a new body with new faculties on a resurrected earth with Jesus. Look at verse 16. Let's, let's run, let's run. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. I don't tell people they're saved. Only the Spirit bears witness that you're a child of God. And if you're a children, then you're an heir, an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. Suffering is the proving ground of your sonship. Most of us run away from it. We hide from it. We get bitter when it comes. And yet it's in the midst of suffering, trials, tribulations, to where the revelation of our sonship comes forth as we say, God, I belong to you and I trust you in the midst of this storm. Verse 18 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. And it's something that I would invite you to meditate on this week. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm going to read it again. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know what Paul's saying? And guys, when we talk about Paul, we're talking about a guy with a holy pedigree. He's been whipped with 49 minus one lashes lots of times. The dude's been through a lot. And he says, it's illegal to compare what you're going through in light of what's going to be openly revealed in you. And when you get a right perspective of eternity and a right perspective of the resurrection, what you're going through won't kill you it will actually embolden you and bring you forward into a greater place in God. Let's keep going. He says this. He goes from verses 22 or 19 through 22 and he goes, guess what? 
creation is groaning for you to step into this calling and for you to step into your glory as a son of God. Creation is groaning for you to step into it. But not only is creation groaning, look at verse 23. Not only that, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're groaning within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Say that last phrase again. Everybody say, the redemption of our body. Say, the redemption of our body. Say it again. Say, the redemption of our body. That's the adoption. My prayer today is that God would awaken a groan within each and every one of you in this room. Most of you are not aware of the groan. But there is a groan so deep within each and every one of you in this room that screams eternity. There is a groan so deep in you that screams, I want to know God and be fully absorbed in God. I want to be fully known by God and I want to fully know God. And there is a groan so deep within you to take dominion and that you would be a slave to nothing outside of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This is our problem. You're way too at home here in America in 2015. Everybody's way too at home. We're earthbound. We're minds are set here. We're rooted here and it's false. Beloved, I love America, as she said earlier. I love the freedoms. I love the joys. I love football games. I love Final Four. I love steaks. I love all the things of this life, but I'm here to tell you right now, my hope and my life and my main source of comfort is not found in this life. My soul is rooted in the age to come and the hope of the resurrection. And the hope of where we're going. And I'm like, God, deliver me from the American dream and give me the heavenly dream. Deliver me, God, from a temporal fading vision of a nice 401k with a nice portfolio and everybody happy. I like happy. But I'm after, I have defined happiness not as what Americans, the majority of Americans define happiness as. I will be satisfied when I awaken his likeness. There is a groan so deep, and I want to ask God to awaken a groan. It's called disillusionment with what makes everybody else happy. No, no, I got two claps on that. When you begin to ask God to awaken a groan within you, you are saying, God, deliver me from being happy with what makes everybody else happy. And that's a dangerous prayer because when you get that gnawing pain within you, like, God, I got to break through into something else. I want more than 45 minutes and 20 bucks once a week. I want more than sitting in here and enduring a service and putting money in a bucket so I feel good about myself. God, I want to connect. I'm a child of God. This is a personal thing, and I'm never going to die. God, I want to connect with the pleasures evermore at your right hand. I want to begin to drink of the eternal pleasures and the eternal joys that's not found in this life. Guys, you want to get awakened to this. It will awaken a groan within you. It's called the spirit of prayer. It's called the spirit of prayer. Kingdom come will be done. 
on earth as it is in heaven. I want your kingdom to break in in my life. I want your kingdom to break in. I want your dominion to break in. God, I want to be fully absorbed in you. I want to be fully absorbed in you because when your life is now, you get bored. And when you get bored, you think you need a new husband or a new wife or you live your life through Hollywood or you live your life through them or you live your life through that. And I want to say right now, God, deliver us from boredom, God, and begin to root our faith in the resurrection. Not only are you groaning, but verse 26 says, the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't know how to pray as we ought. What are your weaknesses? Here's our weaknesses. It's you've got eternity within you in this broken frame. And you've got two worlds colliding on the inside of you. And you're like, God, how do I steward this? I've got eternity screaming within me. I don't even know how to articulate. Many times this is what my prayer life looks like. <laughs> or a tear. And then we run after the things of this world. Well, maybe I just need this. A lot of people try to medicate the groan with a new spouse or a new job or a new boat or more media or more of this. We're trying to medicate, trying to answer a groan that will only be answered in his face. And the quicker you connect, it's in his face, the quicker you will throw off the allurements of this age and you will lock in saying, I got 30 years to sow it into eternity and to bring your kingdom into now. God, deliver me, God. Deliver me, God. Awaken a groan within me. The Spirit of God is groaning within you. He's helping us in our weaknesses. We don't know how to pray as we ought but the Spirit's making intercession for us. Now Paul's beginning to say, guys, you're not alone on this journey. Creation's groaning, you're groaning, but guess what? Holy Spirit is on the inside of you and he's groaning and he's contending and interceding to bring you forth into this glorious magnet called union with your creator. See, we're being carried. We're being brought and the Holy Spirit's crying out within us and there's this union coming. <laughs> but not only is Holy Spirit interceding, it says in verse 27 that he who searches the hearts, he knows what the mind of the Spirit is and he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus, who searches the deep things of your heart, who knows the mind of the Spirit, is making intercession for you. There is a man, a five foot six Jewish man in a resurrected body that's at the right hand of the Father right now who is fully acquainted with all your ways and he is praying for the full will of God to come forth. He is praying for this. <laughs> it's called the divine magnet because you're a child of God. Hallelujah. Heaven's in your corner. Heaven's in your corner. You're not alone. You got Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Jesus at the right hand, surrounded by the saints, surrounded by the angels, the body of Christ. You're not alone. You're not alone. 
We just need somebody to shoot all of our facades and all of our medications in the head. Shoot it in the head. Hollywood is not going to scratch the itch. Jesus. And it says, all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And then in verse 31, Paul's going to ask five important questions. And he says, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what that means? If God is in your corner, you are indestructible. You are indestructible. If heaven is in your corner, you are indestructible. You are a child of God. Number two, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Number three, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Do you understand that before Christ, we were all condemned, damned criminals in the courtroom of heaven? Guilty of murder on a thousand counts. And we stand guilty. But God in his love, he sends his only son to the earth and takes on our form and dies our death. And in the courtroom of heaven, we stand guilty until God the judge looking at Jesus and his death and his resurrection shouts over our own hearts and over every demonic accusation and every work and ploy of the enemy says, innocent in the courtroom of heaven, blameless in the courtroom of heaven, holy in the courtroom of heaven, free in the courtroom of heaven. He is God who justifies you. And his voice is louder than even your own. <laughs> number four. What is number four? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns you? It's Christ who died. Who furthermore is also risen. Who is at the right hand of God making intercession for you. I have a personal intercessor right now in heaven. And he happens to have a real powerful prayer life. <laughs> and number five, what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, peril, what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ? He says, I consider that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's the through him who loved us. And then in verse 38, Paul goes, I have been persuaded that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Everybody say persuaded. persuaded. 
Do you know you don't get persuaded of things easy? Many of us put up fights to things we get persuaded of. I have to do this on my wife many times just to persuade. I'm just playing. You don't get persuaded easy. Do you know what I think of when I think of getting persuaded of the love of God? Because this is Paul's great summation of this. He says, you have been bought with a royal price. Heaven's in your corner and there's nothing that can separate you. And this ought to free you from fear, self-preservation, the American dream, living for yourself and free you to throw yourself into the ocean of his love to be poured out for others and to live outside yourself. See, most of you know what fear produces? Self-worship. Fear produces self-worship, self-idolatry. It produces a self-introspection. It produces a narcissistic society that is built with me on the throne with God as my butler. And God worships me. And I'm here to tell you right now, the hope of the resurrection and the love of God frees you from self-worship and it, you get caught into God worship. Which is where we find the glory of what it means to be human beings. It's freed from ourselves. That's what the gospel in America has done. It has produced a narcissistic self-worship of ourselves. It's humanism at the core with a little bit of Jesus on the side. And the hope of the resurrection and the hope of the love of God, it breaks the power of fear. First John says, perfect love does what to fear? It casts it out, which means it's a demon. It's a demon and it's got to be cast out. Fear makes you hoard. Fear makes you cringe. Fear makes you lock in, barricade yourself, protect yourself. Love frees you. Because if he can give it all, I can give it all. It's the love of God and beholding the bloody man on the cross that when you men think you have rights because your wife doesn't give you something or wives because your husband doesn't do something for you to justify you to do what you want to, all we need to see is the bloody man on the cross. And it frees you from a generation of my rights. I want to get persuaded of the love of God. I want to see fear systematically broken in my life. I want to see addictions because addictions are connected to your fear. Bondage is connected to your fear. Demons are connected to your fear. We need the hope of the resurrection. When I talk about persuaded, I think of, I don't know how they do it now. But when I was growing up, we used to have vacuum cleaner salesmen that would come to the house. And they would come to the house and they would show up at the door saying, you need to check out this new vacuum cleaner. It's powerful. Sir, I don't want nothing to do with your vacuum cleaner. But sir, you need to listen to what I'm saying. This vacuum cleaner is breaking all the records. It's the best thing they've ever seen. You need to look at all the graphs of what this vacuum cleaner can do. Sir, I don't want your vacuum cleaner. But sir, would you let me talk? And he keeps working and working and working till finally he ends up in my foyer, in my house. And now he's in the house. He goes, go get your vacuum cleaner. And I'm going to show you the difference between my vacuum cleaner and your vacuum cleaner. 
And he begins to move my vacuum cleaner on the carpet. So he goes, okay, that does pretty good. Does pretty good. Now let me show you my vacuum cleaner. And he begins to move his vacuum cleaner up there. And all of a sudden, lots of dirt begins to shoot up. Small trees, small animals start shooting up in the vacuum cleaner. And I'm like, how did this small squirrel get in there? I don't even know. I don't know if it came with it or what, but a squirrel shot up there. You got a little gerbil or a little prairie dog. It shoots up in the vacuum cleaner and the guy begins to look at me saying, how dare you? How can you allow this stuff going on in your carpet? I bet your kids struggle with asthma, don't they? I bet they struggle with allergies, don't they? How can you allow this in your house? You are a criminal. I ought to call the cops on you for allowing this stuff to live in your carpet. And now he's turned the tables on me and he's got me in the vice grip. He goes, sir, if you don't buy this, I'm going to call the cops. And somewhere in between me feeling guilty because he's got me, Two, he's getting on my nerves and I want to get rid of him. And three, I figure I do need a better one than the 20 buck one I bought. I end up spending $5,000 and buying the new vacuum cleaner. I mean, if you're going to spend 5,000 or however much we spend on these vacuum, it ought to walk your dog. It ought to give you a massage at night. It probably does that. That's literally what I think of when I think of Paul saying, I've been persuaded. God shows up into our life, and I want to tell you, most of us have no clue nor no faith, little faith in the love of God, the commitment of God, the zeal of God over our lives. But he is in the process in this life of wearing down all your defenses, breaking the power of your fear, breaking the power of your resistance until you finally give way to the ocean of his love. And as love begins to touch your inner man, fear is broken and it begins to produce a conquering spirit on the inside of you. We need conquerors to arise. Beloved, we are in an urgent hour in the body of Christ. I want to tell you right now, we have so much trepidation and fear in the body of Christ. Everybody wants to be politically correct more than they want to be biblically correct. We have more people fearing more of what other people think than what Jesus has said through his word. God, this is an hour to get consumed and get connected to the love of God. And guys, I want to say in closing, I shared at the beginning about the loss of my son. This has been a hard two years and we're walking it out day by day. But I want to tell you something right now. I know that my relationship with my son is not over and that heaven is in my corner and he is pulling me into a glorious day of resurrection and a glorious day of reuniting with my son. And whether... Whether you've suffered loss at that level or the loss of loved ones or just trial, tribulation in this life, I want to tell you right now, it's not made to destroy you. It's actually made to awaken you and to release a greater groan on the inside of you. I believe that God will allow suffering in this life to deliver us from the illusion that our best life is now. Let's stand.
I want to have the band come up. I want to sing this song. I feel like Holy Spirit's highlighting this song. I'm just going to ask straight up a couple of things. One is, you know, trauma like I'm talking about today and it's hard. And you're like, God, I need to get the hope of the resurrection because where there's not hope, there's hopelessness. Where there's not hope, there's depression. Where there's not hope, there's despair. And this is what I love is that many times we feel hopeless because we don't feel like we're making a big impact. But I'm here to tell you right now that what's going to happen on that day when we meet him is what we're going to think was little and meaningless is going to have great impact on our creator. Some of you, like, God, I need the revelation of the resurrection as we move into the Easter week. Number two, some of you are like, I am so bound in the spirit of this age and I need deliverance. And I need an awakening of the groan within me. I need a spirit of prayer to rise up within me that would begin to cry out for the inbreaking because I'm bored and I know that I'm made for more than this. And you're like, God, I need it in my life. I want to ask those two groups. I want you to come up here right now. We're going to pray for you right now. Just come on up. Just come on up. Let me ask it in a different language. Come up here right now. <laughs> a lot of you need to come up here because I'm looking at your faces. A lot of you seem bored. And you need a breakthrough into the real joy and real peace that isn't found here. It's found in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Guys, I believe he is near to the brokenhearted and he will meet your deepest places of pain. But you need to know heaven's in your corner and that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Let's just sing this song. Just everybody in here, open up your hands. Let's ask God to touch us with this love. If, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to be a child of God, I want you to get a hold of one of our pastors here. Today, you can come into the family, be born again into the family. Father, I just ask you over this church, the rock. I ask you, Father, release as we move into Easter week. God, I just pray a revelation of the resurrection that you would restore hope in our lives. That we would begin to set our eyes the day we see your face. Lift our gaze, God. Lift it higher than a 60-year vision in this life. Lift it to that day of union with you. Beloved, now we are children of God, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when we see him, we shall be like him. Yeah, let's just sing this. Come on. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. 